Welcome to Ancient Answers, our program in dealing with current and modern challenges in our lives today and reflecting on the words of the ancients that came before us. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And welcome to Ancient Answers. Today is going to be a Q&A, or what we say, a quote and answer. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at four quotes from history and see how they, <clears throat> pardon me, how relevant they are in today's world. So our first one is by uh, Plotinus, or Plotinus, not sure how to pronounce that, but uh, knowledge, if it does not determine action, is dead to us. That's the quote. That's pretty dramatic. Knowledge <laughs> is, say that again? N- knowledge, if it does not determine action, is dead to us. I suppose that is kind of, when you think of it, you may know all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't apply it, it doesn't do any good. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Sort of the idea that knowledge for its own sake is, is useless, right? If, like you said, you need, you need to apply it. It has to have a purpose. It has to have a use. Well, certainly within social, you know, our social fr- structures, if you want something done, you have to take your knowledge and put action to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Half the time, it's the challenge of either... Uh, you know, stirring up the courage to doing that, or finding a way to inspire other people to to follow or to f- follow a plan. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that he he wrote that. Oh man, a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that knowledge because you think it back in ancient ancient world that any knowledge was better than nothing. Yeah, but he is making a point. If you just acquire knowledge and you can't apply it, it is has no it doesn't serve any function. Yeah. I suppose that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. Well, and one thing I find interesting with this is that there's the whole idea, you know, knowledge, if it does not determine action, is dead to us. But at the same time, you could also flip that on its head where it's the the action itself which could lead to knowledge. You know, that's the whole idea behind scientific experimentation, learning from your errors and stuff. You know? Absolutely. Like, that's actually, I think, a much more profound reflection on what that quote means is that mm-hmm. in the pursuit of knowledge of this world, let's say we call it science in the general framework, yeah. that's true. If you just get information, data, and you don't understand how to apply and use it, yeah. well, we, you could drown in the world of data today. There's so much data, but yeah. having the wisdom to know how to apply it, how to use it, and how to make it benefit others. Well, yeah, how, how to, how to acquire more as well. It's the whole process of building and, and uh, developing new technology, new techniques. You know, you learn from mistakes that were made earlier, and you it's uh, that forward momentum to keep on going and um, uh, keep moving forward with it. So, so yeah, that's, that's the way I'm kind of thinking about that, where, again, knowledge, if it does not determine action, is dead to us. But then there is the fact that you also have to have that drive to keep moving forward, to seek out that knowledge, and to, to risk making mistakes and you know, using it improperly or imperfectly, and being able to learn from that as well. Yeah, because that's true. Knowledge, I mean, I could see where knowledge doesn't have a high value. It might be amu- something that's amusing, something mm-hmm. that makes us laugh or chuckle. Uh, I can understand yeah, we, that. We talk about like fun facts and Fun facts and stuff like that. that. Yeah. yeah, they don't have a huge impact on the world around us. But they are enjoyable, so I yeah. suppose there's still a value to that. They make us laugh or chuckle. Yeah. Uh, but that's true. If you just amass knowledge and you don't understand how to apply it, or you never do apply it, yeah, what's the point? Yeah. I. This actually just made me think of... Um, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine a long time ago, someone else who has an interest in, in ancient history like us, and he had a very small collection, very modest collection of artifacts. So he had... 
he showed me like an arrowhead from a, a Viking bow and or a Viking arrow, sorry, and just some little things like that. Which, oh yeah, yeah. So you know, again, small little things, but pretty neat and interesting. And he asked me if I had anything like that, and I actually have a coin from uh, a Roman emperor, Constantius, uh, but I don't have too much because. I'm not really interested in acquiring anything genuine because to me, I don't like the idea of private collections that kind of thing because knowledge hoarded isn't really valuable to anything. I think oh, that that's item, an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, because I, I think um, so to use those as an example, you know, if someone has a private collection of ancient artifacts and uh, ancient pieces of art and archaeology, what's the value for that apart from saying, hey, look at all this neat stuff that I have? But if it's on display in a museum, then that's something that people can come and have a look at and appreciate and acknowledge and learn from. So that's how I think, that's how I'm thinking of knowledge in this case as well. You know, if you've got a library that you keep all to yourself that you're not willing to share, you know, I, I have... Even a, symbolically, that concept makes sense to well, me. Well, exactly, right? So I'm not, I'm not speaking literally at this point, but, but that idea that if, if it's hoarded and kept to yourself, it's not being beneficial. Well, I think that that kind of reflects the reason why we're even doing this pad, podcast, is that yeah. we have found... Personally, a great joy and great insight in the knowledge we have been able to learn about ancient history and the mm -hmm. way things were done and so on. We're by no means professional historians in any stretch of imagination, <laughs> no. but we would like to we're share it. We're enthusiastic amateurs. You yeah. got it. We would like to share it because we recognize it's a wealth of knowledge mm -hmm. that when shared might help other people, inspire other people, even to our world today. Look at that. There we there go. There you go. So that, that could be the new tagline for that's our, our new podcast. Tagline. <laughs> So just the so that's knowledge. If it does not determine action, is dead to us. That's the new tagline. That's our new tagline. <laughs> so, uh, so for our next one, we're going to Herodotus. Oh, him, yes. Oh, yeah. Wonder, wonderful, exaggerating, exaggerating historian. One of the but. best storytellers ever in human <laughs> yeah. history. There, there. This isn't the quote we're going for, but one that I attribute to Herodotus is, "Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story." That's right. <laughs> so anyway, Herodotus. Uh, great deeds are usually wrought at great risks. Yeah, I, in a, in a nutshell, I would say that I agree pretty significantly with that because I mean, if there, you know, risk versus reward, right? If there's no risk, the reward's not terribly great. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, go big or go home. Yeah, there you go. There's <laughs> the there's we, the modern interpretation. That's our modern interpretation. <laughs> that is a there, you know that's a powerful thing. I would say that's certainly something I recognize in my my time on this planet <laughs> is that uh, you know. Anything that's worth doing takes investment, time, energy, cooperation. Mm -hmm. And if you think of everything from building the pyramids to, you know, we are, you know, there may be still some unanswered questions how exactly it was done. But the fact that it was done yeah. meant that there had to be some vision and some way to both compel or inspire people to be part of that thought process and labor effort to make it happen. Yeah. And we wouldn't have any of the great monuments around this world to admire, eh, regardless of their origins, yeah. if it wasn't for the fact that people thought big. Yeah. Well, and one thing that makes me think, of, or that, that I'm thinking about with this is, again, it's, it's the idea of, of, to me, it's risk versus reward, where, again, if you don't really put the effort in there and don't take a chance, you won't be remembered for anything. I mean, we talk about uh, Sir Edmund Hillary as the hero who was the first man to scale Mount Everest, but who knows the name of the first guy to climb Adnax Ski Hill here in Sudbury? <laughs> Or, actually, the ones that did go up before 
Hillary mm-hmm. who died. That's that's true, actually. That's As you know, we just recently yeah. one of the bodies was recently discovered. It's sitting up there for oh. almost a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. It's in a kind of a flash freeze, I guess, of some type. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, we often throw the word hero in our society around an awful lot. Yeah. I sometimes cringe at how often it gets thrown around. Agreed. Because I feel that its original meaning, which was really meant to be respectful, and and it's there. But not 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 notwithstanding that thought. Um, we do admire people who think big. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, visionaries, right? Visionaries. And we do appreciate people that think big where there's a benefit to a great number of people as well. Yeah. And so I'm going to make a reference where I think is an unspoken visionaries who thought big. And we mentioned in one of our previous episodes, something as simple as the aqueducts of Rome mm-hmm. yep. is such an amazing engineering feature its benefit was to provide fresh water. Yeah. It wasn't meant to necessarily glorify anybody particular from a battle or a con. It was to give good water to a, a city. Yeah. And I'm thinking of those nameless engineers yeah. who's unfortunately we don't really know who they were, who came up and visioned and thought well, big. It's a monumental feat. Like it's it's such an insane piece of engineering that they came up with. And and even like Amongst people today, it sort of gets forgotten beside the Colosseum and other great monuments of Rome. Oh, you can go around the world. Think of Machu Picchu yeah, in South America. Or the fact that there are some enormous cities in that area that the engineering that was involved is just to move the, oh, the stonework around. Like, how did you figure this out? Yeah. To even to uh, Easter Island with the, the Moa. Yeah. There are these great head statues and stuff. Yeah. yeah, there are different reasons why people erect them. Sometimes they're re- religious and sometimes it's to glorify a king or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you still have to think through the process. Yeah. Well, and I, I like your point from earlier when I mentioned Sir Edmund Hillary and you mentioned the people who had attempted the climb before him because I do appreciate that as hum- human beings, we have an appreciation not just for ambitious, successful endeavors, but for the attempt as well. You know, our, our history is littered with stories of heroes who are regarded as heroes despite the fact that they may have failed. Like a lost cause. Exactly, right? And just standing up for for what you believe in. So the the 300 at Thermopylae, you know, we're talking about Herodotus right now, right? So there's a a prime example. Or the 27 Ronin. Yeah, there you go. 47. 47 47. 47 Ronin out of Japan, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's it's a large part of our cultural history around, across humanity, I think. That's a, that was a good quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, you can say that you picked it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, our uh, our third one here. This is from uh, Epictetus. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. So he said that wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. You know, I think in today's culture here in North America, there's a growing movement of minimalism. The idea that maybe you should reduce your life and reduce the complexity because things in our lives make our lives complex. Mm-hmm. Now, notwithstanding, I appreciate having a computer and all those you know, <laughs> cell phones and stuff like that. Yeah. I am amazed at how much, uh, how much my time is taken up in the maintenance of the technology that I basically use. Mm-hmm. And sometimes technology that I don't use very much. Yeah. I certainly bought items and I, I use them a few times and then put them aside. Yeah, and so my thought is, uh, you know, nothing can replace the acquisition of wisdom. Yeah, well, and and to go to go a bit off of what you were saying about um, the movement towards minimalism. So my myself being a millennial and sort of caught up in the middle of this economic cultural turmoil that's been happening the last ten years, give or take. Um, the move to minimalism, I think, in a lot of cases, is quite a necessity because. It's it's difficult for a lot of people just to to 
buy stuff and to, to live. So there's a, a big pressure on prioritizing need, the need for food and shelter and necessities more than anything else. But I think that one of the positives that's coming out of that is the idea that we really don't need as much as, as much as we have or we might want. And to me, it, it harkens back to the saying that um, uh, money doesn't, money, money can't buy happiness. And I tend to argue with that saying a little bit because uh, one of my favorite replies to that one is, yeah, money can't buy happiness, but it feels a lot better crying in a Lamborghini than on a bicycle. <laughs> but you don't get the fresh air. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, fair point. There's a good counter. But... I think this will be a, it's a perennial challenge to human thinking is what, when is enough enough? Yeah. Because we are, we are, we're very much encouraged to be consumers. We yes. are in a consumer society. And therefore, in a sense, there's no end or no limit to the consumption as long as you're being a good consumer. Yeah. But I do think that there is a growing sense uh, that exists in serving our North American culture. And I think Europeans have reflected it as well. I don't think this is happening as much in other places, and it mm-hmm. may eventually, is... Um, like, do you really need so much stuff? I'm yeah. aware that in North America, one of the, the second fastest form of real estate is storage facilities. Oh, really? That'd, okay. And I'm guilty. <laughs> yeah. I have a storage facility unit, and I put some of my junk there, <laughs> and I realized, do I, I, I've been thinking, do I really need it? Because yeah. in the end, uh, but that's part of our consumer society. It's going to be a great yeah. challenge for us to be able to find that sweet spot of contented mm-hmm. living, having just enough to make us happy. But there is a point that if... If the objects you purchase take up more time than they, they, they provide to you, then you're in a problem. Yeah, and, and despite what I was saying earlier about the, you know, uh, money buying happiness and whatnot, it is, it is a, uh, a statement that I do agree with. Money can't buy happiness. Um, it can, you know, sure, it, can, it certainly helps and it solves problems and gives you security and whatnot, but my counterargument to it is the fact that I can be just as happy without money and without a lot of possessions. And to me, that's more of what this quote is getting at, is that... Um, you know, it's not stuff. It's not material. It's it's more it's much more immaterial things. Your relationships, your friends, your family, things like that. Uh, that's what the, where the real wealth lies. I mean, if we realize that one of the most significant cultural problems identified by sociologists and psychologists today, in particular the Western cultures, is loneliness. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Oh, you know, we look at our ancestors in the ancient days where they did live in small villages and did live in small communities, and we may sometimes go, oh man, I can't imagine what it would be like to live so isolated and away from everything and the excitement of big cities and so on. But they had their family and friends around them. Yeah. And so that's, that's a, worthy, that's a yeah. worthy goal in life is to maintain those relationships so that they, go, they, they follow you right to the end. Yeah, right, right now the way things are... Currently in society, the world is more connected than it's ever been before. But like you said, psychologists, psychiatrists are talking about uh, highest levels of isolation and loneliness that they've ever seen. That people express. Yeah, Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So our last one, this is by, uh, from uh, Lao Tzu. So we're heading to China. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. Well, you know, there's any of the uh, sort of... Self-improvement kind of material that are produced today. We, we especially in the West, we are in a society where there's a lot of self-help, mm-hmm. how to get better, how to set goals, how to you know unleash the the tiger within kind of thing. <laughs> there you go. I think that follows a lot of that same thought. The, the ancients understood that um, if you can master yourself and you can work on yourself, mm-hmm. 
Not that it's easy. That may be the greatest challenge in no, life. Is it to is come, very difficult, yeah. Because we're, as human beings, we're, we inherit emotions, we inherit a certain kinds of reactions and responses that are built into almost into the DNA wiring mm-hmm. of us, uh, flight or fight kind of aspect or whatever that uh, can be done. And I don't just mean physical threats, but you know, even a worry can sit there and create the same physiological manifestations if you are being physically threatened. You yeah. sweat, you, you shudder, you get nervous, you can't sleep. These are all things that we understand are psych, you know, physiological manifestations of the flight or fight response. Yeah. And uh, mastering yourself, I can't think of any more challenging goal in life. Yeah. Because for me, I, I'm to take it a, just a step down a little bit. Instead of saying mastering yourself is true power, just a sort of, a, let's say, a more reasonable goal or uh, more attainable is just the idea of understanding yourself, which that in of itself is, it can be very, very difficult, but just the ability to be completely honest with yourself about the kind of person you are, uh, the way that you might behave or react or perform or act or what have you, just being able to recognize that can be immensely challenging. But if you can understand that about yourself, be, be honest with yourself and really understand the kind of person that you are, um, I think there, there, that could be a great source of inner strength and a, a way to help you sort of live your life and move through and just cope with anything that comes your way. Yeah, because if you think that, that the power in life is the commanding of other people and solely that, mm-hmm. um, and you neglect working and improving on yourself, you're just going to succumb to some problem that affects yeah. everybody. I mean, it, it sounds it, that sounds hollow to me. That's that's how that's how that I think of that is if is if someone's sole purpose or the the sole thing that they take pride in or the big importance to them is like look is to say look at the influence I have on these people. Look right. at the effect. How that many I people have. I can boss around? Exactly, or, or not even that. Maybe not even boss around. Not even something negative like that. But just measuring yourself based on the effect that you have on other people, be it negative or or even positive. Uh, to me, that's it's just a lesser goal than being able yeah. to understand yourself and to m- build yourself into the into the best person that you want yourself to be. You know, I think it's the difference on the way the words boss and leader yeah, are seen. I mean, go. they basically function the same function, but we kind of attribute the word leader to mean that there's something about that person. Maybe their self discipline, maybe their knowledge, maybe a combination of, you know, obviously. Uh, characteristic that they've invested in yeah. to be better inspires us to follow as opposed to a boss. And there are lots of good bosses out there that are yeah. person work. But I mean, the word boss, in a sense, is, is kind of has the sense that they are compelling you mm. through various means to do what you're supposed to do. They're not there to, to lift you up either. Where a leadership can mean that it lifts those that are subordinate in some manner. Uh, inferring in, in that, that there is something that they can be led to do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. I mean, this is a hugely complicated part of human nature because it's an entire power structures of human history are based on, you know, is it knowledge? Is it wisdom? Is it leadership? Is it boss? Yeah. Is it is it inspiration or is it you know by compulsion? Mm-hmm. Uh, we all live with it. I mean, we fortunately live in a in a time in history where many of the really hard edge brutal side of those kind of 
uh, enforcements of, of edicts and stuff is not done. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not held to the point of a sword no. to do what we're doing, but we still have the in personal insert internal challenge of of uh, finding you know finding well, I go back, finding wisdom in ourselves. Yeah. Finding, Improve ourselves. I, I like your mentions of both, uh, like uh, boss and leader, because both of them can. I think generally we think of term leader as being more positive, boss being slightly more negative. But like you said, either one could be either one. You know, you can have leaders. You, yeah, that lead it's not a fixed line in between. No, exactly. That's but but it is interesting just to note that you know there are sort we. I think as a society we sort of look at one as more positive than the other, but. Once you break it down into the role itself, it's really an individual basis, and you get good, you get bad. That's all there is to it. Well, that was a good discussion. It's yeah. interesting to think about how these ancient people, these quotes, we've hoped you enjoy hearing some of the quotes and us trying to reflect on our lives today and how relevant they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, thanks for listening. You have been listening to Ancient Answers. Um, We'd love to hear from you if you have any uh, ideas for topics you'd like us to discuss. If you have any quotes that you would like us to discuss as well, we'd love to hear that. So visit our social media pages and help support the program. My name is Shane. And I'm Gordon. And we will catch you on the next episode of Ancient Answers. Ancient Answers.